He is risen. He is risen Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 9. Uh, I appreciate uh, those of you uh, who, who knew that we had a team in Nicaragua last week and you were praying for us. Uh, we got back just shy of midnight last night. Uh, and there's a possibility, I've, I've uh, pre- already preached twice this weekend in Nicaragua, and there's a possibility that during the sermon I'm just going to abruptly pause. Okay, and I'm waiting on my translator. And if that happens, just talk amongst yourselves. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out where I am, and I'll move on uh, with the sermon. But it was a great week uh, in Nicaragua. We can't wait uh, to tell you uh, about what God uh God was able to do through our efforts. It's good to be home. It's good to be home on Easter Sunday. We are reading from verses 11 through 14, and then we'll skip and pick up in verse 23. Hebrews 9 says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tents, not made with hands, that is, not of His creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify from the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ... Read that again. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our consciousness from uh, our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Skip to verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not only into holy places made with hands, which are copies, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and for that, after that comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we look at redemption, as we look at the great redemption that Christ has given us by becoming the high priest, the ultimate high priest, God, I pray that our hearts should be set on fire. God, if we're here and we don't know You, God, if we've never been cleansed by Your blood, help us to come to that realization this morning. 
And God, if we do know you, God, just help us to celebrate in our hearts the great, magnificent work you have done through Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hebrews 9 is almost certainly referencing the Day of Atonement that was observed annually in the Old Testament by the Old Testament Hebrews. Okay? And when we get into, uh, start talking about blood and, and, and cutting animals up and, and smearing ashes on people, you know, it's kind of foreign to us. And you know, the reason it's foreign to us, many of us is because um, we get, get, get to going in January on our Bible reading plan, right? And we're just gung-ho. And about end of February, we get to Leviticus. And we get a few chapters into Leviticus and we bail. Right? I've done it. I've done it. Because there's just so much uh, just monotony of, of just God describing, this is how you approach me. This is serious. This is how you come before me. This is how you make your sacrifices. If we were uh, still obeying Leviticus this morning, most of us, we couldn't even worship in here because we have mildew in our bathroom, okay? There's just things in, about cleanliness that just said over and over and over again in Leviticus that we just bail. But though it seems like, like Leviticus is foreign to us, it drives home a truth that is as true for us as it was the Israelites. And that is this. Is that we are filthy. That we are not just filthy on the outside, we're filthy on the inside. That we are guilty of sinning and rebelling against God. And that He is holy. And there is a separation. And you better take great, great care in how you approach a holy God. Now chapter 16 in Leviticus is what speaks of the Day of Atonement and how it is to work. And it was this daily, uh, this, this annual event. And the high priest kind of made sacrifices all day. And, and all day he was constantly getting, uh, getting cleaned up. He, he would fast and, and the people would prepare and get their hearts ready. And he would immerse himself five times during that day. I mean, immerse his whole body to cleanse himself before he went into the Holy of Holies to present the blood of the sacrifice. He would have to clean his hands and his feet ten times during that day to just make sure there was no dirt, no uncleanliness on him. And this was not that God had an aversion to dirt. It was, that, it was to show that not only are we filthy on the outside, we're filthy on the inside, that we're, we're sinners and that we need to take great care. The daily sacrifice of atonement would include two lambs, one bull, two goats, and two rams. And three times the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. That place that was to signify God's presence, to, to be his rep, really the representative of His throne room on the earth and they would enter into that dreadful and dangerous place and they would bring that blood of the sacrifice and they would smear it on the ark to make atonement for the sins and this was repeated year after year why because Israel every year worked up this big pile of sins like we all do and so it had to be taken care of they had to be redeemed of those sins 
And we would still be doing it to this day had the High Priest of Christ not came into the world. That brought us better things. That brought us an atonement to end all atonements. A once-for-all sacrifice to make us new with an eternal redemption. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. First, I want us to, to look at the fact that Christ did, for our redemption, Christ did what no other high priest could do by entering into the very throne room of God where today He is our mediator. Verse 24 says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. In the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies was that place, that, that dreadful place that was set apart in the temple to represent, this is the throne room of God. Do not, unless you are the high priest, unless you are washed and prepared, and it's a special day, you don't enter in to that place. But this is not where Christ entered. Christ entered into the actual throne room of God. The actual throne room of God. The high priest would enter the Holy of Holies in dread. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine just wondering, did I get all the dirt off? Did I get all my uncleanliness off? Have I repented of all my sins? Am I worthy to enter into this room? Am I going to be struck dead? And he would enter into this room that represented God's throne room. And he would make that presentation of blood. And I just know he was eyeing the door. Just get me out of here. I don't belong here. I'm unclean. I'm sinful. I'm rebellious to God. I don't deserve the high priest, these high priestly garments. But this was not Christ. He was not able to enter into the throne room boldly because of the sacrifice and because He was the perfect Lamb of God. He stayed there. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the One who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God. He's at the right hand of God. That's where He went after His resurrection. Folks, back to the right hand of God. And who is interceding for us. Though there are many who accuse us, there are people that we know that don't like us, that maybe have seen the worst of us, and they just don't care for us. They're our accusers. And we have spiritual accusers. Satan is called the great accuser. Always bringing up our past. Always in, in bringing up our unworthiness before God. And probably the worst of all is we accuse ourselves. We constantly think about the sin in our own life and how we are absolutely unworthy. But there is only one that's worthy of accusation. The only one that is worthy to accuse us, and that is Christ. And if you are in Christ, He is your friend. He is your mediator at the right hand of God. We also have that earthly sign given to us in the time of Christ's death that that veil that separated the Holy of Holies was ripped in two. To show us that everything has changed. 
that you no longer need a high priest to come into the Holy of Holies once a year, but Christ has entered into the throne room of God where He intercedes for us. Which is why Hebrews 4.16 shockingly says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne room of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why in the world can we as sinners enter into that dreadful place of holiness? It's because in that throne room is no longer our judge if we're in Christ. He is our mediator. When we walk into the throne room, Christ says, Mine! Redeemed! What a glorious thought. How has He redeemed us? He redeemed us with His own blood. Which brings us to our second meditation this morning. Christ did what no other high priest could do by shedding His own blood to redeem us from our sins. Verse 12, He entered not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood. It also points to the absolute superiority of that blood when it says if, uh, in verse 13, if blood and goats can cleanse the outside, imagine what the blood of Christ can do to our inward conscience. We are redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, there was great power in the blood of these animals. Think about the, the Passover lamb. Remember the Passover lamb? Egypt, uh, the, God's people were in Egypt. They were slaves and, and God sent Moses to, to deliver them and, and Pharaoh wouldn't do it and plague after plague, blood, locusts, frogs, nine plagues came. And then that tenth plague that was going to do it, that was going to break, break them and send them out free was the, the night that death would pass through Egypt. And they were commanded to, to sacrifice a lamb to, to take that blood, to put it on your doorpost. And when the angel comes through, it will pass over the houses that have that blood on them. D.A. Carson, a great preacher, paints a, a wonderful picture of the power of that blood by looking at two fictional men, two fictional uh, uh, Israelites. They were talking before Passover night. They were, they were there that day and the sun was about to go down. And we'll call them uh, Jim and Bob. And Jim and Bob are talking and, and Bob says... Uh, Jim, are you nervous? And, and Jim says, well, no. Bob says, I'm, I'm kind of scared. And Jim says, man, why are you scared? I mean, haven't you done what, what God said? Did you kill the lamb? Did you put the blood on the doorpost? Are you, you, you eating the Passover meal with your family now? Are you going to head out? 
uh, getting ready to head out to freedom? And Bob's like, well, sure I did that. I'm not stupid. Yeah, I, I did the lamb. I, I put the blood. But there's, there's been some crazy things happening here lately. Locust and, and, and blood, water turning to blood and, and frogs coming out everywhere. It's been crazy. And, and tonight, to think the angel of death, the angel of death is going to come through this city and kill the firstborn? I mean, Jim, you, you, you got three sons. Me and Beth, we only have Charlie, and we love that little kid. I'm, I'm scared. And Jim says, well, I'm not scared. I believe the promises of God. There's nothing to fear tonight. And Carson poses the question, which one of those men lost their son that night? Which one? Which one lost their son? The answer is neither. Neither. For when death passed over, it wasn't on the basis of the strength of their faith or even the clarity of their faith. It wasn't based upon any other thing that they had done besides one sole fact was the blood on the doorpost. And that is the same for us. It is not in the strength of our faith. It's not in our actions. It is the question of, is our faith placed in the blood of the Lamb of God? And if the Passover Lamb had that kind of power, then then as verse 14 uh, 14 says, how much more Will the blood of Christ do everything that we need for it to do to make us right before God? Some of you, you come here this morning and you feel weak. Maybe you've been living in a season that, that there's been such a, a deepness of doubt, such a struggle, such a distance from God that you're not even in the church, that you're not even coming to church. You're not seeking to to love the people of God and to be here. And and you're here today because it's Easter and we're glad to have you. But maybe you're here every Sunday, but so often your, 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 your faith feels like a thin thread that's barely hanging on. Maybe your good works, they seem so small and insignificant when compared to your mess ups, to your sin. And you think, how can God love someone like me? And the question you must pose for yourself this morning is not your church attendance. It's not the strength of your faith. It's not the balance of your good and bad works. The question you must pose for yourself this Easter morning is this, is do I trust in the blood of the Lamb for my redemption? When we throw ourselves in utter dependence upon Christ and what He did on the cross, man, He'll draw our hearts back into church attendance. He'll draw our hearts back into fighting against sin. He'll do all that. But first, the biggest question we must ask ourselves is am I trusting in the blood of the Lamb? I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough 
that Jesus Christ died and that He died for me? Is that your plea this morning? Lastly, Christ did what no other high priest could do by making a one-time payment for our eternal redemption. Notice how this, uh, this text stresses time again that, that this is a one and done sacrifice. His one payment was sufficient for our redemption. Verse 25, nor was it to offer Himself repeatedly. Verse 26, He appeared once for all while the sacrifice of animals was reoccurring. It had to happen all the time. The Scriptures is clear that Christ's one death was sufficient for all of our needs. And I want you to know something. No matter where you come from this morning, if you stumble out of the deepest, darkest depths of sin, I want you to know something. God's not going to look at you and say, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I'm going to have to go to the, go to the cross again. There's not enough grace whoa, you are messed up. No. John 6.37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So no, no matter where you come from this morning, Christ says to you, My grace is sufficient. My one death will cover every ounce of sin every sin that you've committed every sin that you're going to commit you will be redeemed by my sufficient blood we also see that that one payment gave us an eternal redemption verse 12 securing an eternal redemption verse 15 it said eternal inheritance he does not redeem us until we mess up again and then have to redeem us again. He does not just redeem us for a little while. No, it is an eternal redemption. And that if you will come and you will turn to Christ and you will trust in what Christ has done, that redemption is eternal for always to the end of time and beyond into eternity. Yesterday when we were traveling back at, at the airport in Nicaragua, I, I talked to a group of people, a um, bunch of LSU fans. Um, they were from Baton Rouge. And, um, and they were there, and, and at first they, they said we we're on a missions trip, and I got to talk to them. They were doing, had been doing really the exact same things that we were doing. Dental work, um, uh, medical uh, work. Uh, I, I don't think they had a vet. We had a vet, which was really cool. Um, and, and just some other stuff. They just kind of were doing the same things we were. And I, as I began to talk to them, I realized I, I kind of called it a ministry. And they said, oh, it's not a ministry. It's, it's a brigade. And what I began to realize is that it really wasn't, uh, it wasn't really a Christian thing. It was just, hey, we're going to go hurt, help some people. And I just felt so sad for them. I mean, not because, I mean, not because they were in Nicaragua helping people. I mean, that's awesome. That, I mean, that, there's, a lot of worse things that college students could be doing on spring break, right? Than going and, and helping people in Nicaragua. But I thought, how sad if all, if all you can do for people is pull their teeth. 
All you can do is maybe give them some medicine to get rid of some parasites for a few months. And it just made me think about the privilege that we have as a missions team with all the gifts that God had given us, whether it be medical, dental, our vet, uh, just being there to play sports with kids, that we were all there unified, offering an eternal redemption. Not, hey, we'll make you feel better a little while. No, we were offering Christ and we were telling look at this church. There's a church here. If you come here and, and you hear the Gospel, you'll be redeemed. We're telling you the Gospel. If you don't get it, come back and you'll hear it some more and you'll come to Christ and you'll be redeemed. What a privilege we have as Christians to offer folks not a temporary fix, but something that will last for all of eternity. The beauty and glory of worshiping and being with God. Glory. What an amazing, amazing privilege. Do we do it though? Do we do it? Do we live in that privilege? Do we, do we give all that we have, all the gifts that we have to give to people in eternal redemption? And lastly, His one payment gives us hope as we wait on Him. Closes verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting on Him. Christ came once to bear the sins of many. That work is done. He, he did it perfectly. He lived a perfect life. Not one sin. He obediently went to the cross, and on that cross, while He endured the nails, He also endured the cup of God's wrath that was poured out upon Him, not because of His own sin, because of our sin. And then, He gave up His Spirit. And folks, He was dead. He was dead. And they took Him down and they put Him in a tomb because He was dead. And then, a few days later, some women came because to, to, to put some, uh, some spices and herbs on the, on the body because his body was, gonna, was doing what all bodies do, and that is begin to decay and begin to smell bad. He was dead. But when they went there, they found no body. Because at some point, breath came into those lungs again. That body rose, that glorified, the same body, but the glorified version of it. And He walked out of the tomb. And the work was done. It was finished. Sufficient for all of everyone's needs in this room. Sufficient. Done. And He is returning again. But it is not to come and be the suffering servant. It has come to be the conqueror. He's not coming to bear sin. He's coming to put an absolute, total end to sin. And as this verse says, it is, He's coming to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Are you eagerly waiting for Him this morning? That's an important question. 
It doesn't say he's coming to uh, he's coming to save all those who had an emotional experience 26 years ago at church camp. It doesn't say that that he's coming to save those who um, are church members. It says that he's coming. He's coming to save those who eagerly are waiting on Him. That have a relationship with, with Him. They know Him in such a way that they're ready for Him to come back so that they can know Him in the way that we're going to know Him for all of eternity. And if you don't give a rip about His coming again, then you need to ask yourself, do you have a mediator or a judge in the throne room of God? You need to ask yourselves, does the blood of Christ cover your sins this morning? You need to ask yourself, has Christ's one death paid that price for your sins? What more could the great high priest do than what he has already done? He has done everything that you need for salvation in his death and resurrection. This is God's one plan. There is no plan B or C or D. There is one plan, and that is He has offered us Christ. And if we will receive Him, if we will trust in His sacrifice, we will be saved and we will eagerly wait on Him to return and make all things right. Christians, if you're here and, and you eagerly await Christ's return, we have much to celebrate in this moment as we are about to sing in Christ alone. And in Christ alone our hope is found and in Christ alone we wait for that hope to be revealed. As our musicians come and as you stand, I'm just asking for you to respond to God's Word this morning. If you are unsure that, that you know Christ, if you're unsure that you've been covered by His blood, then I'm, I'm right here. I'm right down here. And I'd love to talk to you about that or find someone to, to talk to you about that. But let us all just rejoice. If you're in Christ this morning, and just sing from your heart. Pray where you are. Pray down here. Um, respond however you feel like a resurrected Savior who has done so much for you deserves to be responded to this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank You for becoming the great High Priest. I'm so thankful that I'm not relying on earthly priests to kill animals. I'm so thankful that I can just look to the finished work of Christ. God, I pray that all here will realize that His sacrifice is sufficient. God, that He has done all that is needed if they will simply trust in his blood and god i'm thankful that it's not about the strength of my faith it's not about all the things that i do or don't do it's about the blood of your lamb thank you for my redemption thank you for our redemption and god help us to respond to you in jesus name i pray amen